Hello and welcome to episode 11 of season 3 of the Three Amigos FBL podcast. I'm your host Don and I'm joined as always by my amiga Kylie. Our amigo Mars is on holidays in Dubai. So hi Marzi. Uh, you can find us on your group account at Three Amigos FBL as well as individually at Kylie FBL, Mars05 and myself at the Marple Curse. Um, but as we are missing Mars, we decided the next best thing, the next, the next best singer we could possibly get on the show would be, of course, the very one and only Ryan Fantasy Irma. How are you doing, Ryan? Welcome to the show. I have, I have multiple problems with that introduction. <laughs> Um, but, yeah, it, it, it did not give you enough of a plug for uh, maybe the Bang Average podcast. Oh no, I'll get I'll get the all that there. Don't worry, I you know I plug stuff left, right, and center. But are you are you honestly trying to keep a straight face and saying you think that Mars is a better singer than me? No, 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 no. An equal, an equal quality, Ryan. But, but see, that you have to listen back, Kylie. I mean, I'm, I'm I'm hoping that you're going to be on my side here. But the next best thing to Mars is singing. <laughs> <laughs> When you hear it repeated, it's it. Um, I guess it depends on your perspective. You know, you, you could you could look at it. Yeah, as, if you're as, deaf or not. <laughs> <laughs> as our tradition, we begin our review of the previous game week with the best score from our amigos. So that this week is our Kylie, who scored a magnificent, magnificent wild card forty-one. Uh, Kylie, tell us briefly how your how your fantastic team did it. <laughs> 41 <laughs> seems like a bit of a strange score to be bragging about, but uh, but go for it. Oh, but yeah, there's. I think there are bragging rights associated with it this game week. Um, and I shudder to even think what my team would have got if I hadn't wildcarded, because the people who did deliver were not in my team last week. Um, but yeah, my wildcard went well. I did make quite a lot of changes. Um so the the key performers that came in were uh, Hudson Adoy and Vardy, and in fact Hudson Adoy um, wasn't originally in my plans because I had Yarmolenko in there. I have Mount, and I went um, without Tammy, and um, I did see that late leaked news about Yarmolenko missing out, and I kind of wasn't married to him in in my team, um, so I just did a very quick uh, Hudson Adoy in for him. Um, with his nine pointer was amazing. Vardy delivered for me. I uh, I took a punt on Kane instead of Aubameyang, which didn't make a difference either way. Um, but yeah, I, I think other than the the two guys delivering and then Tamori's clean sheet, I didn't really get anything else. Um, my bench did well. I had yeah, your bench had um, the two uh, two big hitters, Rico and uh, who was yeah. Lundstrom. Wasn't it? Lundstrom, it, yeah. I think this week was more one for um for basically yeah, if you had one or two big hitters then your your average was you know you were going to be above the average score. I only had really Alonso did that for me. I took a minus eight hit, um thirty five points minus that eight, so only twenty seven net. But it was uh, it was one of them weeks where Alonso basically was the only one who did that for me with his fourteen points. Abraham captain, yeah. Sterling with his five points. It was a really, really poor 
uh, game week, but everyone was in the same boat, so there's no need for everyone's heads to fall off uh, because it's just really every, everyone, I think, had a bad week, and it's just on to the next one we go. Uh, Ryan, how about yourself? How did you get on in game week nine? I'm in a difficult position. All right, I'm not going to lie to you. There's um, there's a bit of an altitude issue. I I somehow I somehow have ended up doing quite well so far. Um, so the game week, I mean, everybody sort of languished this game week, but um, the final points in game week nine of 46, um, which give a game week rank of around about 900k, and that actually pushed me up to 36.667, so about 35k overall, 35.40k overall. Um, and I, I mean, realistically, it has to be all downhill from here, isn't it? Oh, definitely, yeah. No, there's no, there's no other way for it. And um, how? What have you? What have you found? What's gone well this season? Like that you found that you're, um, you've had that good start. Do you know? Do you know the only difference? I think because I mean, listen. By this stage, you, you start to see templates and you start to see, you know, um, people as same people, same teams, and things like that. I honestly think the biggest difference was I've had a bit more luck this year in terms of the captaincy. You know, w- whether it be Sterling or De Bruyne or Salah or whoever it is, those types of decisions have gone in my favour this time. So I'm fully expecting that to switch up. And I think it, I mean, if we, if we look at the margins, you know, the difference between taking the right captain each week is the difference between a red and a green arrow. I mean, oh, it, yeah. it's as simple. Yes. And it's, you know, it's, a lot of the time I think people get disheartened because they think, you know, I had a terrible score this week and you know, the, my game you know, ranking is, is rubbish or whatever it is. The, the harsh reality of it, and maybe some of the purists don't like this type of comment, but the harsh reality is, had they, you know, captain and vice captain the other way around, they might have been 20 points up on themselves. And, mm. you know, who's to say that, you know, so so this week, for example, Sterling was captain, De Bruyne was vice captain. Um, Sterling with five points actually turned out to be the right decision because the only one that really outscored him in my team was Lundstrom, who I wouldn't consider captaining, and Rico, who I definitely wouldn't consider captaining. Um, so uh, I, I, there's, there's been there's been a bit of debate I think on Twitter and FPL and things like that there about the element of of luck and I just think it's I think it's naive to say that there isn't an element of luck within the game um, and in fairness that that conversation is based more towards the you know the one two three ranking of your subs now at mm. the end of the day. You know, listen. If, if three people in your team don't start, and sub three ends up coming on, then and they've hold, then there is an element of luck there because you wouldn't expect that. But there's, I think there there has to be a there has to be a sort of caveat to say that the ordering of the subs one, two, and three is still at your own discretion. So yeah, you know, a lot of people have yeah, Lundstrom come. Do you know what I mean? And a lot of people have maybe Rico coming in this week. So I try not to be. Um, this is a sensitive subject, Ryan. We're not allowed to talk about either of those two coming off benches for anyone this week. <laughs> well, I will say they were in my starting eleven, but I can understand the concept of if Rico had came in because I think I think what would have happened in many cases is Lundstrom might have been sub one and somebody like Rico could be sub three. I think it, I 100% agree. The, the round, the ordering of the subs is the choice you make, same as the vice captain, name it on someone as opposed to just picking your captain and not even taking any notice of who your vice is. These are all the things you can control of, but, uh, 
But yeah, no, there's an element of luck in everything, sure. And uh, there's definitely skill in it as well. Right, oh, let's cover off the standings in the Three Amigos Classic League. Um, top spot, we have a new person on top, so that's Georgi Bosanov's team with uh, 570 points total. Um, Zizetto's. Uh, Red Bull equals Ings. Killian Gubbins is um, rising to second position right behind him on 5-6-7. And um, down from top spot from last week is my favourite team name, which is Izzy Wizzy. One get busy. I keep on getting it wrong. Izzy Wizzy get one busy. Christopher Marshall. You should be practising this. I I just feel like I need to say that. (laughs) Yeah, I know, I know. Uh, LA Riots, Evan Guest's team is in fourth spot on 5-5-8. And CP Warriors Rui de Oliveira's team is on five four four points. So um that rounds out our top five. Good luck to all of those in game week ten. Um next up on the show we have Mars's rant of the week. And of course Mars is on holidays this week, but that doesn't mean that we're not going to that we're not going to enjoy his rant because he has sent it all the way from Dubai. So uh Marzy baby, take it away. Hey guys, hope everyone is okay. Sorry I can't be on the pod today. So, there's only one thing to rant about. It's not really a rant, but just more of a, like, let's all calm down a little bit. We all had a bad week. And when the average is low, it's not really that bad. Let's just move on. Maybe stop jumping off and on players and have faith in the players that you have. Because if you can jump, if you keep jumping on and off, you're probably more likely to miss the points. Just have some shisha and chill. And, you know, in weeks like this, one or two differentials could could make the difference. So if you're fed up with the template, then, yeah, go for it. But that doesn't mean you go selling all your big players because they're probably the ones that are going to score next. So let's see. There's some good games coming up. But, yeah, I'm just a lot, I kind of laugh when I see people complaining when everybody's had a bad week. I mean, anything probably above 40 was, was a good... 40 and above was a good week. Not just because I got 40, but it's just made, it, it kind of makes sense. So, yeah, enjoy the pod, and uh, I'll be back on next week. Um, we'll kick on with the big topic of the week, folks. Um, and in this section of the show, we put aside some time to discuss the big talking points in our community on Twitter. This week, it is template busters. Um, there's a lot of frustration this season with big budget names not performing regularly. And so I thought we might look at some alternative options to those highly owned players that people may consider and we'll go by position starting with the keepers and um ryan i gave this one to you to start off with um we have i've looking at the top kind of five owned goalkeepers and ederson is top on 21.7 percent of live ownership uh ryan is second on 4.7 pope um pope basically the same price De Gea then 5.5 and prosciutto then um, rounding out the top five um and he's he's actually the most points in um um, among the keepers so far this season um, but what's your thinking on the, those kind of high owned players Ryan and perhaps some of the ones that you know Ederson in particular people had a main thing you know it was a set and forget that Man City would keep plenty of clean sheets but it really hasn't kind of worked out that way in terms of his haul for his price tag I think with with Ederson specifically because of the amount of movement in that back line I mean, geez, you've seen you know Fernandinho and Rodri start as a centre back pair over the last week, um, but Ederson probably is he's the safest choice if you want to have a Man City defensive option. Now, whether that says he warrants it, 
not on point because again for me somebody like uh, Ryan uh, Brighton is I mean not only has he you know, got a call given sexy name but I mean 4.7 million 38 points I mean, what, what rationale is there to spend 6.1 million on a goalkeeper when you know the three in front of him are outperforming him um, in points per per million um, and, and, and not, listen not even in a big way but the back pairing for City aren't convincing. The fullbacks we know are going to rotate. Um, so if, if if you really have to have a Man City defensive player, then it has to be Ederson if um, if you're worried about rotation. Um, better value. I mean, do you know something? There's a case to be said, and I can't believe I'm even pointing at this here, but uh, Newcastle goalkeeper uh, Dubravka is 5 million and 33 points. Ederson, 6.1 million, 35 points. If you just look at that as a point per million basis, Dubravka outperforms. Um, would I have a Newcastle goalkeeper in my team? I, I, I don't think I have the balls to. I, I genuinely don't think I would have the stones to do it. So somebody like Ryan stands out there. Um, Patricio's top of 41, but I, I don't think anybody has the same sort of level of confidence in Wolves this season as, uh, as last season. And no. then that throws you down to Henderson. I'm, I'm guessing Henderson is second place because of the Absolutely abysmal performance of um, of Arsenal on Monday night. So, uh, <laughs> what did he rank up? Well, he picked up an extra six points there um, on Monday night, and that's that's boosted him boosted him right up there. I think Sheffield United are actually good defensively. I'd be I'd be quite happy with the rotating pair of maybe Ryan and maybe somebody like Pope or somebody like Henderson. And I guess it really gets to the point of. Do you know something? It goes back to this conversation about picking your vice captain. It goes back to this conversation about setting your bench lineup. I like to have the two rotating keepers because it actually it gives me a choice each week, and it's not that set and forget mentality. You know, I, I want to feel involved when I'm playing FPL, so I, I like having those decisions to make because that's a different game. perspective, though. Because a lot of people, probably myself included, with the keeper position, we do like to just have somebody there that we don't have to be kind of kicking ourselves if we get the clean sheet. You oh, know, 100%. Who's and that's, I'd it's be part the same, yeah. It's part of the beauty of the game. You know, I, listen, if there was a 4.5 menu keeper that I thought would start every week and have great clean sheet potential, but, you know, there's a part of me that sort of likes, you know, that decision I have to make every week. Um, and, you know, on that sword, you know, it's, it's, it's my cross to bear, whatever you want to say. It's, um, you know, it is, it's rewarding when, say, Ryan Halls and, you know, Pope doesn't or whatever it is. Like, inevitably, you're going to get it wrong sometimes if we can, you know, end up yeah. you know, cursing out. But it's, I like that concept of the game. You know, I do that. Yeah. It's one of the reasons why I actually like draft, you know, football. And you've seen maybe, you know, fancy your man, the account going towards, not going towards, but adding drafting as a, as a game each week because, it gives you that opportunity to make more individual choices each week. And I think for for somebody like me, and I like that sort of element of choice, it, it works well. Yeah, all oh, good stuff. Um, and I know that one of the things too with, say, having Henderson in your team, um, it is kind of to have that double up because most of us at this stage um, will be getting on to the defenders now in just one second with um, Kylie's going to look at them. But um, like Lundstrom is the um, second most owned um, defender. And then we have so people that have taken in Henderson. You're looking at a Sheffield United double up. Do we like them that much? 
Um, so far, they definitely have been returning. If people then have, say, Pope and they also have a Burnley defender, then it's a double up in the Burnley defence. And I know that sometimes people don't really like having having that double up for uh, for one of those kind of more budget teams. No offence, uh, Dave from Burnley uh, with the or Claret FBL there with the with our Burnley flag, but. It's 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 not like having two Liverpool defenders or two Man, a Man City keeper and a Man City no. defender. No, that double up feels a lot more comfortable, I guess. The let's move on to the defenders and Kylie. Um, now of this one's of course um, the gorgeous Virgil Van Dijk is top, forty five point eight percent owned. Um, <coughs> sorry, fucking hell, somewhere in my throat there. <coughs> I'll just lead in there again, Colin. <laughs> take two. So next up, Kylie, let's look at those defenders. Uh, the gorgeous Virgil van Dijk is top of the table on 45.8% ownership. He's returned okay, I guess, this season, but he has left a lot of people a bit disappointed because um, of the lack of clean sheets from the Liverpool defenders, of course. Uh, Lundstrom is second most owned on 32.8, and he scored the most points on 45 so far. Um, and the fabulous Trent Alexander-Arnold, you're getting a bit of Liverpool bias here Ryan I'm sure you're noticing that um, second most points um, on 36 or 30.6% ownership um, but Kylie there's a lot of defenders um, say for instance Digne on 20.8% stands out and you know that have kind of high ownership but haven't really done anything so far in the season is there kind of defenders that you're looking at that will offer a lot more kind of differential value who are performing at a high level so far yeah, um, uh, the, the VVD Venture Van Dyke one shocks me, to be honest. 45% is crazy high, uh, especially given the, the lack of clean sheets there. I just really didn't think that many people still owned him. Um, I guess some of the, some of the highly owned assets there I would be holding on to. So Lundstrom, I think, there is absolutely no reason to overthink owning a player like him. He's from a strong defensive team. So you can look at though, you know, the fact that he's playing as a midfielder as a bonus because we're not expecting assists and goals from him every week. But the fact that actually Sheffield United can keep clean sheets and, and our top performing defense at the moment means his steal still at 4.6. So no need to risk it. I think if you've got Trent, I think if you've got Robertson, likewise, I would be keeping them. Robertson in particular has been coming good in recent weeks. And Rico is another one that, um, we're seeing in quite a few teams now, not as many as, as Kelly, for instance, who seems to be quite highly owned. But, you know, he's another one that's easy to kind of keep on the bench and I wouldn't be looking to to move him on in order to shake things up. I think if you've got Dinier, I think if you have Van Dyke, Otamendi, these kind of guys, they're one Bissaka. Like, if you've got Aaron Wan Bissaka, I just, I just don't know. I know that United have good fixtures coming up, but I'm unconvinced by a lot of these defenders that are sort of sitting maybe outside the top kind of three, but a bit below that. They're just not looking that great. And I think that there are reasonable options. 
One interesting thing, right, is there's a lot of talk about Tomori and uh, Soyonshu. I still don't know how to say his name. Soy Sauce. Anyway, from Leicester. Mm-hmm. Um, we see them in a lot of teams on Twitter. So it really skews perception. But actually, they're 6.4 and 7.6% owned, respectively. That's really low ownership. It just seems to be that that uh, percentage of ownership is comprised almost entirely of, of the Twitter community, or certainly a large part. So they are still um, fairly low owned. They both have good fixtures and they're relatively cheap. So I wouldn't be bypassing those kind of players if you're looking to move someone on and you want to free up some funds simply because you think that every team on Twitter seems to have them. Um, Another one is Bolly. We talked about him last week. Wolves are looking good. He's historically had good attacking threat, uh, so I'd be considering him. And do you know what? Like beyond that, you, you do have, you've done well out of Alonso. Some people are looking at Pereira. I don't know that I would be getting overly dramatic with uh, differentials in defense, right? I think that there are rock solid for their price options in defense, throw in Trent or Robbo um, and you're kind of okay. I think if I'm looking to shake things up, it's probably further forward. And I think that's largely because we've been most disappointed by the lack of goals from our our so-called template players. And that's probably where most of the disappointment is coming from. Yeah, no, that's that's interesting points. I mean, I know that um, Pereira at his, you know, his second top um, point scoring defender so far, and he's kind of done that a little bit quietly. You know, sometimes Pereira, I think last season, sometimes everyone was talking about him. Um, but I think his price tag is much more expensive than Soyuncu has made him kind of a little bit kind of more under the radar. And he's definitely, I think if you were looking at a Pereira and Alonso um, kind of premium defensive options um, in place of, say, Van Dijk and Digne or someone like that, if you're kind of holding on or even if you can stretch a little bit from Basaka, Juan Basaka, I mean, they, they're offering, they offer an awful lot more in terms of differential value and also kind of that attacking threat as well. Um, you yeah, know, Alonso has worked out, worked out very well for me, but um, Alonso no, has, but, but I'm I'm not entirely convinced by Pereira, to be honest. I mean, his his total points are somewhat skewed by those uh, consecutive goals he scored, um, but like his underlying numbers haven't been that amazing. So I'm not. Uh, we you, don't lost, know. you lost me, Kylie. At consecutive goals scored. I'm happy with that one. <laughs> but I just. I, I don't know. Some of it seems somewhat fluky. Uh, I just haven't seen sustained threat. I don't mean consistent scoring every week because that's unreasonable for a defender, but uh, sort of a a sustained threat, um, just given the the significant price difference. But, I mean, we did see last year that he did have continued threat. So I think maybe part of that is because their fixtures, to be fair, up until this point, were quite horrific. So if he's going to come good and start looking more attacking again, then it's probably going to be in, in this fixture run. And I think he's given that there are some of these premium options that don't look great. Um, if you do want something a bit different and you do have the money for it and you're happy to spend it, I think, yeah, sure. Why not 
give him a well. The especially for people who have still stay stuck with that big at the back formation, yes. it does mean that they can kind of switch from one premium to another one. But um, as you mentioned, I think it's a good disclaimer. The obviously the overall points can be skewed because one two game weeks, including say a penalty save for a goalkeeper, can really throw off their ranking in terms of their points scored so far. But I think it's a valuable kind of way of looking at them for now, as in how they have started the season so far. So, um, so Ryan Come. You mentioned the big at the back thing. Is that is that everything? Hmm? Is that everything? No, I'm saying. I mean, you you mentioned that big at the back. Um, I suppose concept that was was huge on Twitter this summer. Is that is that dead for you now completely? For like for me, if I'm looking at my defence, I think you, there, there's a couple of sort of prerequisites you sort of have to consider here. You you're, you're going to pick one Liverpool defender, at least one Liverpool defender. And that's going to be you know, yeah. first of your premiums. Then, as I said, it seems to be Lundstrom is the, is the choice there for the, the sort of cheaper one. And then people seem to be making decisions then. And Kyrie's point picked out a few of them already. But, you know, they're going to make big decisions basically, you know, somebody like Rico, somebody like Kelly, um, perhaps somebody like Tamori or whatever it is. So by this stage, you've already got a minimum of three of your five defenders picked. And what really tends yeah. to be the choices then is, you know, who you gonna, you know, what what sort of strategy are you going there, and that's where it tends to be the, you know, Lucasina or Pereira. Pereira is is more interesting to me than any of the rest of them because of that, you know, bigger perceived goal threat. But at the same time, again, I, I'm I'm sort of, God, if John Wallen listens to this podcast and hears me referring back to draft, I'm screwed. But uh, I, I am sort of drawn towards Pereira more because of the counting stats. He does push forward more. He does get more balls into the box. He does make more attacking threat than a lot of the other fullbacks out there. Um, I just think it's I think it's fascinating. Kylie, do you know you see what you were saying there about Aaron Wan-Bissaka still being in people's teams? Why? Like genuine. I think it's just fear. I think it's the Manchester United defensive fear Is that it, if, if why? they have high ownership. Because of Man United being Man United, they will have high ownership. So people are afraid, I think, of getting a big rank drop if Man United start getting clean sheets and they don't have any coverage. So I think he's just basically Man United coverage. I think that's the reason why um, De Gea is one of the highest owned goalkeepers. So there has to be some yeah. some of that percentage has to be from inactive teams, surely, because historically, yes, I mean, United defence is usually the most highly owned defense right and and part of that is the large support base but also part of it has been because they have actually been decent defensively look they haven't been the worst defense by any measure they haven't it's just there you are paying a premium price tag for them still and yeah and i mean aaron wan bisaka hasn't even been playing right so i mean i know he he was uh he played in the last match right but he was injured for a while wasn't he yeah he was yeah but i think i think the, the fear thing is the big thing with, and I think a lot of them are probably the inactive teams, which, um, you know, do possess them. But I mean, the, the, there is no, the problem with Man United defense too is they're not even, it's not like Chelsea's defense isn't keeping, I don't think, I haven't checked the numbers, but much more in terms of clean sheet points than what the Man United one is. And it's, but the fact is that they have 
defenders who are who are um, producing bonus points or they're producing assists, um, and so they're providing some sort of value. The problem with Man United is they're not really providing any of that. They're not providing. There's no value. There's no value there at all. And I think the only way I can see into the United backline is, and see, this is where people you know can take a punt. So instead of having you know Rico or Kelly. If, if you really want to make a punt, there was a couple of times on Monday night, and I'm sure you guys watched the game, um, United-Liverpool, where United did switch to that flatback five at one stage. Yeah. And it, it's interesting because game week seven, game week eight, it was the youngster, Alex, uh, just see if I can... Zabi. But I mean, 4.4 million for him, 0.2% owned. Absolutely nobody has this kid. And... Is it, a, is it a possibility where, because I mean, if you offered it to me now, would I rather take a punt on a 4.4 million defender that if he doesn't play, he's going to end up on my bench? Or would I rather have, say, 5.5 million or you know 6 million invested in a United asset at the back? Because even, you know, let's look through this here. So Maguire 5.4, Lindelof 5.4. You know, there's no, nobody there in around that price point. I'm very tempted as my sub three, you know, Instead of having somebody like Kelly to maybe take a chance or take a punt on somebody like Tuanzevi, um, because I just I mean what you know I just I like the idea I know he was sort of he was injured there the weekend or for the Monday night fixture which is why I didn't get the the hit but you know it's it's maybe worth checking with Ben Denry uh, towards the end of this week uh, and see where he's sitting in terms of um, injury status because. We, we went through this last week on uh, on Bang Average podcast and it essentially boiled down to which players between 4 and 4.5 million are actively playing. Because if they're not actively playing, they're not actively assets. You know, it's, they're, they're dead subs. And it, it does fall back into that same category where it was Lundstrom, Kelly, Rico. And it, it, Kelly's the one of the three of them that doesn't interest me or entertain me as much. You know, I, I think I'm getting more from the other one. Certainly Lindstrom, because I don't think he's played defence ever. I, I, I genuinely <laughs> I don't know where they got that uh, position right well, from. Yeah. I mean, there's like 200. He's got 200 appearances or whatever it is. I don't think any of them have been full-back, half-back, centre-back. Any, you know, I don't think he, you know, it's it, it's mind-boggling. They obviously but. just didn't do their research. It's It's bizarre. Surely not. Almost like somebody Heidi, did. Heidi, how are we going to get you on the official FPL show with comments like that? <laughs> Damn, all my dreams are ruined. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the come here, Ryan. Let's we'll move on to midfielders, okay? Because um, we've the, we've a lot to talk about in this in this bunch. Um, of course, top of the ownership charts is Raheem Sterling on thirty-seven point nine. Uh, Mount, who's been the flavour of the season, of course, so far, is on thirty-seven point or thirty-seven percent, and Kevin De Bruyne on thirty-five point six. Um, Salah is in fourth spot on thirty point eight, and his Liverpool teammate Mane is on thirty point two percent owned so um obviously they've all been sterling has disappointed a lot since game week one he's still returned you know um i mean he's he's still returning somewhat but not at the level that we might expect from a player that costs 12.1 million but um what's your thinking ryan on the kind of the standout these high owned midfielders is what's your thinking on, on sterling at the moment do you own him at the moment and um is it is it are you thinking about maybe moving on from him and for who 
So I started the season off with three big hitters. Um, I started the season off with Salah, Sterling and De Bruyne. Um, and it's it's quite strange for me to actually do that in terms of I typically don't like to have more than one player per team per position. Um, but I've never liked it. It always feels like you know putting too many eggs in one basket. Um, it's, the, it's the same reason why the, you know the idea of having two Liverpool defenders annoys me because I know a clean sheet wipes both of them out. Um, but I did. I started with that and it paid off. Um, De Bruyne, I think, is easily the biggest bargain in FPL this season at the starting position, at the starting price. Um, you know, when, when you see some of these players, particularly say you take someone like Wolves, who were all overinflated prices after last season, for De Bruyne to come in at, what, nine million this year is criminal. Nine five, but it's still he will never be that cheap again. And he shouldn't. It's he ridiculous. shouldn't have been that. He shouldn't have been that cheap. Ten, ten five. No, five. it was quite. It was because of injury. So they've taken a look at the the numbers compared to previous seasons. But I mean, he was out for most of the season. That doesn't negate his quality. So I'm not complaining. I'm delighted to have gotten him so cheap. But absolutely, it. I mean, it's a crazy price, especially when you look at how he has delivered so far this season. And one thing, of course, the players that he was up against at 9.52, I mean, he was pretty much... He was yeah, Pepe. Like Pepe. Um, oh. Son, you know, but um, Son is obviously a quality player, but, I mean, Pepe was only coming in. 9.5 for De Bruyne was, was obviously a steal. Um, but uh, you have the double up. Um, have you kept faith with Salah? And, I've um, kept... What you I've, yeah, I mean, I've kept faith with Salah, and again, it's... You know, it's that fear of missing out. So I think there's there's been a couple of weeks. So, for example, while I think I've got lucky or I've did well in terms of the you know, coin toss captain picks, um, I, where you could probably see increased values, you know, whether you have Salah or Mane in a given week, depending on which one of them goes off. You know, it's it's always interesting to me that, you know, we talk about the front three of Liverpool, but we don't. I mean, we talk about the front three of Liverpool, but we only really talk about Mane or Salah. Neither of whom were forwards in the game, um, and it's it's interesting because Firmino is is critical to the you know to that trio, mm. but he never seems to come into the equation as a fantasy asset in the same way. Um, I, I actually think he's probably the most important of the three of them in terms of bringing. Yeah, the way we play. Uh, yeah. Do you know what I mean? But yeah, from a football team. perspective, yeah, definitely. So I mean that that always sort of intrigues me and interests me watching Liverpool because you you almost sort of want Firmino to get the you know to get the goal to get the brace and things like that. <laughs> you know if if he was a more valuable fantasy asset, you know then it makes life a bit easier. But I've stuck with Salah and I think you know with the bigger assets it is it's harder I think to chop and change just because of the of price and things like that. Yeah, and it's it's the sort of thing where if I drop Salah one week. For me, it feels difficult. It feels more difficult to try to bring that level um, or that price value player back in again. Um, you know, again, it was 12, 12 point something at the minute for for Salah, twelve point four. Is he worth an additional? You know, was that point six million on six now, Yeah. Yeah. Not 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 on the points scored. Um, do I think Salah will outscore him across the season? Yeah, probably do. Um, again, we sort of we looked at this. You know, they, they sort of put the gun to the head um, last week on our show, and we we're asking about you know, put your money where your mouth is. Where's the you know who's going to be the top midfielder? And as as much as you know, Salah and Mane provide a bigger goal threat. 
I still think De Bruyne finishes off the season as the top point scorer um, in the FPL. Um, who I think it should be is Sterling because of the chances he gets. Um, and as much as Sterling has improved in terms of his finishing, I mean, the, the guy—I mean, the guy is a class act. There's no, there's no doubt in my mind. But you're, you're always sort of waiting for him to, you know, to sort of fluff a chance within a match. Do you know what I mean? Um, so I think the, the, the big hitters are are are, you know, are plain to see. The one that I probably did earlier this year um, is Mason Mount, and the reason I did this earlier this year is because I still remember. You know, Leicester winning the league. That whole sort of three-month period at the start of the season, where Mares and Vardy were on yeah. fire, and I was so stubborn, kind of so stubborn. I, I refused to sort of you know buy into this thing and say, like, well, you know, it'll finish off at the table, <laughs> die down. And the more I sort of watched, because even listen, if you listen to us talking pre-season, you know. There was an argument being made that Ross Barkley was going to be, you know, Frank Lampard's golden boy, um, and I didn't oh, expect. I, 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 I had him where we wanted, right? And that's yeah, just I, the sense. So, he, so Barkley had a phenomenal preseason, and I think you know people were justified in thinking, do you know something? You know, Barkley's worth a pump. Um, what I didn't really, I suppose, comprehend is how much faith Lampard and or Lampard had in Mason Mount following the, you know, the. The season on loan last year with Derby, so he's he's got a chance to sort of see him in action at the Championship level, and was confident enough in bringing him through. You know, it it, it sounds ridiculous, and you know, it, it doesn't sound ridiculous. Now. I think that transfer ban is potentially the best thing that's ever happened to Chelsea. Oh, one hundred percent. I I mean, Chelsea are so much more exciting this season, and I'm I'm completely with you on Mount. I was an early buyer as well. I think he was my first transfer I, in. I held this off season. on him, and I regret it all season long. But, um, yeah, he's so consistent. It's brilliant. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I mean, I'm yeah. suffering your Mares problem with him this season, um, Ryan. Mares is an interesting stuff. one in itself because Mares, you know, at any other club in the Premier League wouldn't have this, you know, concern over playing time. And you know, if if I was confident that Mares would start eight out of ten games, I th- I think I'd be quite happy to have him in the team. You know, I, I would I would make that sort of decision and I would probably have to drop one of the other two but I mean you just yes. don't have that luxury and it's 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 frustrating Leroy Sané last season was probably the most frustrating player in the league for me because of the ability because of what he could do and because you were never just quite sure what way Pebble could do it and he's caught us out a couple of times you know he, he caught me out with um, you know the dropping of KDB a few weeks ago he caught me out with the Aguero and uh, drop, and I think sometimes you come into you know off the back of the international break, you're thinking right, is he going to rest Sterling? Is he going to rest Aguero? And then he drops KDB, and it just there's there has it's to be impossible. a method behind the madness. But yeah. it's it's hard to say. It's frightening, and you know this is this is where it's difficult because from a fantasy perspective, who can realistically hold up their hand on a Friday and say Pep's going to start this guy, Pep's going to drop this guy? We don't. We don't. We, you, know, you have no idea. Um, you have no idea, and I think anybody saying otherwise is, you know, is completely fooling themselves. Um, I think, 
I think we've with the with Pep the Pep roulette as everyone describes that is it's we've I think we've prescribed that the re, only real solution to it is pick the best players you know, that there's available to you at your price that you can afford from Man City and just basically accept that yeah. some week you're going to have them not playing and have a decent bench. Um, like we saw there with somebody, you know, if they have Salah on their team, he got he was injured. Kind of unexpectedly to me, anyway. I was kind of half. I was expecting them to play against United, um. But it's important to have somebody on your bench that can just fill in when these high-priced players aren't playing. And but, actually, arguably, we're we're somewhat spoiled, you know, based on that conversation we were having about the defenders. There are cheap, viable defenders, so you can have a functioning bench. Lots of can, people yeah. have had points on the bench, and and really actually done well we've seen it several times when those key assets are missing in that game week so I think particularly when you're talking about the premium players because this is really part of the challenge as far as I'm concerned at the moment is looking at these premium assets and yeah they may be underperforming somewhat compared to what we're hoping for Um, and I think it's simply because they're all blanking at the same time so that's really leaving us a little bit stuck. But it's not like you're going to go and look at it and say, okay, I'm going to get rid of, you know, Sterling. assuming you have KDB, <laughs> but who are you going to bring in for Sterling? You know, um, that was the question I was going to actually pose to Ryan was yeah. uh, like, who is Ryan? Like, for instance, people like they're getting frustrated with Sterling because since his massive haul in game week one, he hasn't set the world alight at all. And like the Bruyne injury, but like he's basically a set and forget and his price point, you, you, you're happy to have him no matter what. But like people moving off Sterling, is there like really somebody to move to? And that's what like the problem would say, we're owners too when we get to the forwards. Who are the people actually move to? Aubameyang, not exactly in form. Kane, not particularly in form. But um, in terms of midfielders, who would you be kind of thinking if people are going to move off the likes of Salah, the likes of Sterling? Other than De Bruyne and Mane, who are they really going to move to? You see, this is the problem. So when they do move off these premiums, they end up switching to a teammate. So, you know, for example, you switch off Salah, probably going to end up picking Mane. If you switched off Sterling, you're probably going to end up picking up the Brown if you don't already have him. And it's, it sort of ends up then in this sort of rotatory, you know, mess where nothing actually happens. So you look at the top 10. So making up the top 10, obviously we've got Mason Mount, who we've talked about. You've got one, two, three, four Man City midfielders in the top 10 midfielders. So there's a lot of rotation there in itself. And what happens is people will sort of say, look at Sterling get a bit pissed off with it and think, right, I'm going to drop Sterling. And do you know something? I could have David Silva, David Silva in my team, a 7.6 million, save myself almost, well, 4.5 million and have the same points return. That's frightening. You know, that that is, it's frightening to think that, you know, Sterling at 12.1 is returning 53 points. David Silva at 7.6 million is 51. Sterling has to outpoint this guy over the course of the season. And, you know, just based on the chances that, you know, are provided. But in any given day, game week, David Silva is, is more than capable of outpointing him. And, you know, it, it got to the point here where I was sort of thinking this season, and again, this is where Pep's caught me out. I'm thinking, right, David Silva is finishing up at the end of the season. He is going to phase him out. He has to phase him out because at some point, even the City supporters are going to get pissed off that Phil Foden isn't being brought through. 
you know, yeah. what is the point in having this, you know, under England under 21 kid that has so much potential, but we never really get to see in any way, shape, or form. And it just gets to the point where I could drop Sterling now, bring in David Silva with that extra. I mean, imagine what you could do with a squad of 15 with an additional 4.5 million. But do you even need that money? This no. is this is the thing. Like the actual exciting, interesting differentials at the moment, especially in midfield, are those kind of cheaper ones, right? Because you, if you sold Sterling down to David Silva, where would you spend that money? Because like the premium forwards aren't looking. I mean, they will come good. I believe so. But like, you're you're exactly right, Kelly. Because right, I, say I had that extra four million. I could possibly upgrade Lundstrom. Do I want to? No, I want to keep him. No, yeah. Do, do you know what I mean? I want I, I want Lundstrom to be my problem child all season long, where he's either going to start or he's going to be first sub. And again, I have to make that decision based on watching the games, you know, doing the eye test, doing that, you know, ha- having something where I'm actually interacting with this game. Because again, for me, the set and forget mentality de- defeats it the gets boring. Yeah. It defeats yeah. The but also. The thing is, to use the Mount example, right, with both Mount owners, so if you went Sterling then down to David Silva, in theory, right, you would look at Mount, who's probably sort of fourth, third or fourth midfielder, and you could upgrade him. But you wouldn't want to because Mount has been great. So it's like I just – I think you do just have to – I, you know – practice patience with the the premiums they will come good at the moment it's a weird period and honestly i would be looking at you know mount isn't a differential at the moment but you know like hudson adoy saved my week he's got Mm -hmm. three assists in three consecutive matches and like in the first one he only played 20 odd minutes in it um you know he's a good option Grealish out of nowhere is now playing in a front three and outperforming again. So there's, there's, you know, a different options in, in the price points, but I think they're all those kind of mid price ones. None of them are kind of ones that you'd move on a premium to bring in. So it's really tricky. It's tricky. I mean, I like, I like the Grealish. The one, the one sort of, you know, caveat thing I would say about Grealish is, you know, he's sitting at 42 points for the season. He's terrible um, hair. Well, he has. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, uh, you know, uh, as men get older and they become follically challenged, they're going to hate him for the yeah. time. Yeah. It is a thick head of hair, to be fair, but. The, <laughs> it's a beautiful head of hair. Um, but I mean, my, my point with Grealish is, and it's just one for, it's one of caution. You know, because 42 points for the season, 20 of those 42 have came in the last two game weeks. You know. Yeah, but he's playing well, in a different position. This is the only thing. Well, look at the next fixtures then. If, you know, if, oh, if they're horrendous. Yeah, yeah they, they are horrendous. Yeah, to be so, fair. I mean, statistically I, I speaking... I do love the fact that Grealish is, is becoming this talisman that I think people wanted him to be, you know, and... It's, Especially it's, Republic of Ireland football fans want to. Oh, yeah, so much, yeah. <laughs> Who love him dearly. Um, <laughs> I think it's an interesting point you're making there, Ryan. And one, I would say, in terms of that caution, because of those fixtures, there's the luxury of waiting to see. Because, um, you know, if he goes through those fixtures, and sure, like he's playing, I think, Liverpool and City in the next two. So you're not expecting the same level of return. But if he continues to post the same sort of numbers and, and look threatening or more threatening than he did in the earlier parts of the season um, while getting through these tough games, when they do get to their good run, which isn't 
too many weeks off, then maybe he becomes a really interesting option. But you can't. It's, no, it's I, th- not I, no I think that's fair. To. I do. I think. I, I think that's fair. I think that you know the run that Villa had between game like ten and fifteen is terrible, with the exception of you know, Newcastle Sanders in there somewhere. Um, but sixteen through twenty um, or sixteen through twenty-one looks quite good. I mean, listen for me. I, I'm sort of I'm a fan of him again. Um, he was one of the sort of bargain ones that we highlighted at the start of the season. Um, bargain four four two and things again. The reason was his performances in the um, the championship last year. And the only thing I would say is that Jumpkin over the past eighteen months, I think, has been a more consistent performer. Does Jack Grealish? provide the potential for more yes you know there, there are more there is more attacking uh, i think intent from Grealish, and like you said if it is that new position and if he can come through let, let's put up the perfect example if he can show if jack Grealish can score because mcginn will have the same level of game i think regardless of the opposition Grealish, i think it's more dictated by the opposition he plays against depending on how much space he gets so if if Grealish can post you know attacking points against either Man City or Liverpool, you're going to see a massive upturn in this. He's still sitting under 5% owned, and I think he needs that performance in one of the big games to sort of maybe turn that around. Because at the minute, it's an interesting proposition where Grealish is considered the differential to, to John McGinn. Um, yep. And from, from that perspective, I just think that... I, he, he, my personal opinion, I, I actually I hope, he, I hope he falls flat on his face in the next fight, because... Again, I'll keep them under the radar, so to speak. It'll keep that price down. And For that green picture there. Well, yeah, because you've got, I mean, that good run that Kelly's talking about, you know, from, what's that, from 8th of December, so that's going to take in the Christmas pictures. So you would, I mean, they have they have a run over Christmas, you know, from the 14th of December through to Boxing Day. Well, Sheffield United, Southampton, Norwich, and Watford. And that's where I want him to be. So I, I'm, I'm okay with, like you said, sort of sitting back, taking stock, and letting see how this plays out. Mm. But when that run right. comes in, I hope he I hope he hasn't scored for five games by the time he gets to them. And he'll be a decent price. Um, I think you're banging the table literally for um for Jack Grealish. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we're, you hat trick against City. <laughs> uh, let's move on, Kylie, to the forwards. Okay, and we'll touch on these briefly because I know that we have talked forwards a lot so far this season on the pod, mm. and I'm sure Ryan has on the bang average pod. It's Go always on. dangerous asking me for brevity, by the way. It's brevity, fun. well, I because it's kind of a dangerous. Yeah, I I probably shouldn't do it. Take as long as you want, Kylie, on this one. Okay. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> know your audience. Yeah. Yeah. Abraham, Abraham, forty-four point nine percent on Pookie still on thirty-four point five. Um, Aubameyang surprisingly enough on twenty-eight point nine percent. Um, playing for some mid mid-table team. Um, Aguero on twenty-eight point nine percent, and then Kane rounding out our top five on seventeen point nine. Now a lot of them haven't really lit the world on fire, Kylie. So um, um, we I know we've talked about. The likes of Callum Wilson, we've talked Vardy, um, and of course Abraham, who's the top dog um, so far in the you know in terms of he's the top dog in terms of ownership anyway, and third in terms of overall points. But um, for people maybe wanting to give themselves a little bit more differentials, um, who would you be recommending maybe to move off and who to move on to? Yeah, okay. Um, I guess it, starting off with Tammy, I wouldn't. I don't actually own Tammy. Um, just because I wanted to do something a bit different. So I 
got the Cho mount combination. But I wouldn't be moving off Tammy. He still has great fixtures. Um, and he's done really well. He's not going to score every week. And, yes, there have been a few recent blanks in fixtures where people would have anticipated more points. But I think that's just part of the game. And to be honest, in those weeks, you know, a lot of other viable options haven't performed either. Um, so I think he's one that I would be keeping certainly during this fixture run. Um, Pookie I would be jumping off of. Um, that's not to say Pookie's not going to – return to form at some point during the season and you'll want him. But the benefit of having so many options thereabouts in that price range is that you can move on and off based on form and and really with those sort of cheaper options, the the form and the fixtures tend to dovetail together. And I really think that you should be following those closely. I don't think Pookie is one that I would be holding on to because of fear of his ownership. Personally, uh, I think Jimenez is a good shout as an alternative. Um, I did talk about him last week on the pod. He's 7.1 million. He's got uh, three goals, two assists, seven bonus points. Could have had more on the weekend. Um, it's not that his numbers are overly amazing, but he we've seen it last year. He is capable of great consistency and Wolves are starting after a shaky sort of beginning. They're starting to look good again and Jimenez has been the main man. So I think he's an absolutely worthwhile pick. I mean, he's not like uber differential, but he's 9.8% owned. That's substantially lower than the likes of Pookie. Um, another perhaps more controversial one, definitely more controversial than Jimenez is um, Ings. Now, I'd always be reluctant to promote Ings as a purchase for anybody, but the reality is he has been scoring four goals, an assist, and eight bonus points in the last three, I believe. Um, and to be fair, that included against Chelsea and Tottenham. Like, he's what's his he's, ownership at the moment? Um, okay, uh, uh, I'm not sure off the top of my head actually, but I he's suspect got, he's got a thing in his contract that when he hits ten percent, that he breaks a leg. Yes, probably. So you should check. He's still at 2.4 at the moment. So So he's got a ways to go. He's got a ways to go. Yeah. Um, Look, his fixtures are, you know, the next three, not what I would call easy. He's got Leicester, City and Everton. So not great. But then it's Arsenal, Watford, Norwich, um, Newcastle, West Ham. Um, So he could definitely get points. He is one, if you went there, I would be looking at it as a short-term thing because, you know, he will be due an injury sometime soon. But he hasn't been coming off early. He's been playing pretty much the full match, and he's 5.9. So, I mean, the, you cannot argue with the form. He's probably the best form player at the moment, which is kind of mind-boggling. But um, I think if you've got a Pookie or someone like that, and you want to make a, a different move, he is a viable one for you in that kind of cheaper range. Um, then you have the premiums, right? And the premiums are really tricky, and you kind of touched on this, um, Don, because if you've got one of Aubameyang, Kane, Aguero, you know, who do you stick with the one you've got or do you go somewhere else? You do have Vardy or Firmino as options there. Uh, Vardy... I think is it, you know, with the fixtures that he has, his numbers are always crap, right? But 
it doesn't matter. He still just seems to score anyway. So I, I think statistics are completely irrelevant when it comes to Vardy because he, he is just his own creature. But I think if you're not going to Vardy or you already have Vardy, it's really hard because I personally want to have a premium striker slot because I, I want the flexibility to be able to move to someone if they're on form and it becomes a lot harder to do that when you don't have the money there but who who to have I mean Aubameyang given the fact that we have these questions over Aguero right and whether he will play Aguero should be an obvious choice particularly with a home match against Villa and then Southampton in the next two but there's a lot of nerves over Pep Pepping, right? And it is what it is. We, we, we don't know the answer to that question. So I think then it should by rights be Aubameyang based on what we've seen over the course of the season. But actually he's really regressed in terms of his underlying stats in the last three games versus say the three before that. Like he's not, he's got one goal versus four goals in the, that previous three week period. The fixtures are largely the same in terms of difficulty, but like penalty area touches halved, the attempts halved, you know, shots on target halved, everything's dropped. Um, and he just is kind of looking a little bit invisible. So who do you go for? Kane? Mm-hmm. Kane apparently scores in the Champions League and in um, international break, but doesn't score against um, Watford, which is uh, a bit worrying. So I, I don't have a magic answer here. I think that slot, if you have one of those three and you're looking to move on, it's very difficult to decide which one to move on to. So yeah. you take your pick. Maybe you do go Aubameyang because of perceived security of minutes. I know Lacazette is coming back, right? But it is back, really. But um, maybe you go for him because he has the fixtures as well. But I wouldn't be saying that with a huge amount of confidence that he's going to go hauling every other week. I, I really do actually like Lacazette, um, to be honest, if I was looking yeah, for somebody. But, he's, um, but then the thing to remember with Aguero, of course, is he has had his rest now. And as much as Pep likes to talk things, I know that Kevin De Bruyne would be his... Uh, would be his favorite child. Looking at the way uh, I, the way well, he plays. They've lost the two matches that he hasn't played. So yeah, but I wouldn't be surprised if Pep, looking at that, uh, looking at that, no pass from uh, from Jesus to mm. KDB, would um, that'd be that'd be grounds enough to drop him, even just based on that. But but no, I think uh, yeah, I think Aguero will. But it is very very difficult to know who to move. That was that, that was grounds to lock him up. Sacking, yeah. yeah, it was unacceptable behaviour. But it's uh, it is. Um, quickly from you, um, if you don't mind, Ryan, and then we'll move on to our listener questions. Um, you, of course, for your sins, are an Arsenal fan. So, um, what's your what's your kind of thoughts on Aubameyang, Lacazette, and um, and basically any other really Arsenal options um that are that are worth talking um, about? I'll give you probably a point across the, the three positions because I think Leno's fairly set there. Aubameyang, I think, actually has to be considered as quite impressive because for for him to be sitting in second place, 57 points in terms of forwards, is 
is actually it is actually quite impressive because Arsenal just are not creating chances, which means that he's he's taking the chances he's given. Um, it leads me almost on to the the next point where, you know, I sat down on Monday night for you know Sheffield United versus Arsenal, and you know I tweeted about this at the time. But as much as I'm happy to see you know the youngster um, Joelle get a run in the games, I, I'm not. I'm like as an Arsenal fan, I'm not sitting there happy with the fact that for whatever reason Mesut Ozil isn't even in the squad and for a club that is you know obviously well drilled and Emery oh you know obviously has him playing in a certain way or you know he's very high tempo he's very much the high press he's very much the, the you know the pacey sort of breakaway when they can do it they're not creating chances I mean it's, it's plain and simple as that and you know for me if if a team is not creating chances and you have potentially the most creative player in your squad, not in your squad. There's an issue there. So whatever that underlying issue is, get it sorted or get him sold in January. Get him out because I would much rather, I would have felt more confident going into that Sheffield United game on Monday with Mesut Ozil in the starting lineup and we like to come on with the last 20 minutes to go. And because what I see right now is, is a lot of sort of abuse towards people like Mesut Ozil, he's not even getting a game. You know, fair enough, if the guy plays, he does terrible, you know, lay into him. Yeah. You know, Mustafi gets that quite a lot. Mustafi actually gets, you know, more shit than probably any other player in that squad. But the reality is he's never playing, and the games that he has played in this season have resulted in clean sheets. So I think Mustafi, from an Arsenal defensive point, has started three cup games this year and kept clean, or three clean sheets. But that brings me then into the um, the defence. So I think it's fair to say that Robertson and TWA are the you know the premium options when it comes to fullbacks. I have so many high hopes for Kieran Tierney. Um, I saw him at Celtic. I saw him in the cup game so far for uh, for Arsenal. He was the guy that you know when you're when you're sort of searching Twitter over the summer international break or the, the pre-season and you're just waiting for the transfers to drop and things like that there. Tierney Arsenal I would say was probably my most searched um, term over the summer because he was the one I was actually excited about and Kieran Tierney is the sort of guy that I think can come into that team, he can make that left back position his own and he can you know, maintain that for years to come you know he was impressive uh, against Nottingham Forest, I thought, I thought he was really impressive actually against Nottingham Forest and um, he already has an assist, his name in the cup this year. The, the sort of report I heard of the, the weekend was Kolasnic is still keeping that left back place because he hasn't done anything wrong to, to deserve to lose it. It's bullshit. I mean, you know, Arsenal's defence is hardly rock solid this year. No. And when you've got, you know, that centre back pairing of Socrates and um, David Luiz, it's, it's, it's frightening. And it's the first time in a long time where I looked at an Arsenal bench. And you've got, you know, the potential of Tierney, you've got the potential for um, Rob Holding, actually, have a start in front of um, either of the two centre-backs. Uh, Chambers, I think, has been phenomenal, actually, at uh, right-back in terms of bombing forward. I don't know where he's got this attacking intent from, um, but it's actually been great fun to watch because I feel more secure with Chambers at right-back than I ever did with um, Ashley Madden-Niles. So you've got this here, but then you've also got Bellerin. So there's there's an interesting sort of proposition at Arsenal where for the first time in years, in genuine years, I almost think they've got more strength and depth than they realise. It's never utilised. Uh, you know, the, the ability, the, you know, what they can do is never utilised. It's never shown to its full potential. 
But they have a squad this season that, bearing in mind the transition of Chelsea, bearing in mind the you know the Spursiness of Spurs, and bearing in mind the the absolute fuckwittery of United this season, if Arsenal don't finish in the top four after a three-year hiatus in the Champions League, Emery, he's just not the right man for the job because mm. it's it's the sort of season where if Arsenal can't finish top four this year. He's done. He's out. Yeah. I, yeah. You well, know. I know that the like benching, um, or not even benching, but leaving Ozil out is a ballsy move. And I mean, um, the on loan guy from Real Madrid, what's his name? Uh, the, uh, yeah, that they have kind of playing. I mean, that's that's an on loan player versus a guy who's who's. Yeah, but permanent. he didn't even start him. But, I mean, that that that's the the biggest issue there. So, listen, at the end of the day, I, I don't know enough. And I'm being brutally honest here. I don't know enough about Emery's time with Paris Saint-Germain, but I know there was an element of getting his fingers burned with the relationship between Emery, PSG, and Neymar. And I'm just yeah. wondering: is you know, is Mesut the the one? Is he the fall guy? We all know Mesut Ozil's limitations. He is never going to fucking run his arse off and get back and forward up and down that pitch. He is never going to be the box-to-box midfielder that even Aaron Ramsey was, and he never replaced him. But what he but does he do, yeah. you know, it's the same thing. So if, if what you're seeing, because remember when Aubameyang came to Arsenal, I think he had something like, you know, he scored with his first, say, five shots or whatever it was. He had this phenomenal record when he came Crazy so, conversion rate, yeah. You know, and we know that. We know that, you know, if you give Aubameyang enough chances, he's going to convert. The problem is at the minute, if he's only getting one or two chances per game, the goals are limited. So the fa- that's what I'm saying. The fact that they're actually not creating chances, the fact that they're up there... The other element of play, and then I will finish, and I'll just bang on with this for an hour. The other element of play here <laughs> is that, you know, Nicola Pepe, I mean, they've spent a hell of a lot of money on him. And I understand the concept of, listen, we need to play him and we need to get this working. Um, and what I think you're seeing here is, had Pepe scored the opportunity against Sheffield United on Monday night, that's a different game. I mean, that's, that, that's, that's a Michael of one quote right there, but it's a different game. If Arsenal go one 0 up at that point in the first half, then it's, it, the whole dynamic changes, um, and it gets to the stage where I think you would have seen Arsenal sort of you know, sit back and maybe roll that one out comfortably. It didn't, Sorry. and you know the game week ten, game week ten now is so critical for Pepe because if he doesn't get this turned around now, he's going to go back into his shell, and it's going to be sort of you know December. He's going to find out the hard way about you know the sort of the scheduling. Um, of the Premier League, and I think it's going to be very hard for him to come back. Um, you know, Aubameyang can't keep giving him penalties, so I, I almost feel sorry for Pepe because again, it's someone like Ozil in that team that frees him up, that actually puts him in a position to look good. At the minute, it just always feels like it just always feels like the Arsenal team selection is there's an element of Emery saying, well. I'm being told to do this, so I'm going to do that. And it's the same thing. You see this with Luca Torreira. I, I mean, for me, he was, you know, second maybe to, you know, something. You know, he, he's the closest Arsenal have to, you know, an Angolo Kante type player where, you know, you look at the man of the match awards he picked up last season. So this isn't just from a fantasy point of view. But if you think about it, if you have the defensive asset within your midfield, then it frees up the attacking players from a fantasy perspective. So in the same way that, you know, N'Golo Kante could help, say, Eden Hazard look good last year, look at Torreira screening that back line, does a hell of a lot more effective job than Granit Xhaka. The issue is he's been taken on board as his golden boy. And that, it's, that, that, it, 
is interesting, I suppose, that the like the players you're mentioning there, they're they're not fantasy assets, obviously, but they can have impact on the fantasy assets, whether it's old. So old, no, I, I I would like to see Torreira. If I could see Torreira, I would I would sort of my my personal opinion, I would have the the double axis of um, Guendouzi, who I think is he's essentially fucking you know Matthew Flamini with a with a perm. That's high expectations for. for um, I'm, I'm not, but I am. I'm very big on him because what you've seen is that you know, as a guy who's came from nowhere, and a, a guy who what age is he? Nineteen. Nineteen. Um, you know, the amount of game time, you know, the amount of game time he gets. But again, not a fantasy asset, but it's important because again, if you have somebody like, if you have that solid access where you know these two guys are going to start every week, then that frees up that forward four you know so for me it should be in my opinion if it, if he gave me the luxury of picking the team for a week i would have <laughs> terrera and i would have Ventuzzi in the middle i would have bows in the front and i would have the three um the trio you know the the liverpool b trio of um <laughs> the liverpool of, b yeah <laughs> you know because uh, listen I, I think the front three have tremendous potential but they're never going to show it unless they have the support system and what you were seeing is, I think for me, what really brought it home was the Arsenal Watford game um, when Arsenal sort of, you know, fell back and drew two over Watford. And it wasn't the fact that, you know, Socrates, you know, messed up with the with the back pass and playing out short from the back. That that wasn't my issue. It was the fact that they conceded something like twenty two to twenty three shots from Watford, and you know, that's people were sort of giving David Luiz a hard time. This is a man who's having to make clamming tackles every two minutes because there is nobody fucking watching his back. There is nobody yeah. screening the defence. And again, if you put the defensive midfielder in there, then straight away your fantasy assets in defence have a higher sort of you know uh, potential for a clean sheet. And the guys in front of him have you know are more confident. You know they say, do you know something? I can make this run now because I know that somebody's covering me. And uh, whereas you know what was the, there was a there was a cracking statistic. And it was something like David Louise played, you know, 160 games for Chelsea and made three penalty mistakes or gave away three direct penalties. In four games for Arsenal, they conceded two. That's not because David Louise has become a bad defender overnight. That's because, in comparison to what he's used to, that guy has no protection Always whatsoever. Yeah, yeah. No, so don't get me wrong. I don't. I don't think David Louise is the elite defender he was, you know, two, three, five years ago. You know, I don't mean that. But for to go from from one level to you know from this peak to where he was after say four games in the Premier League this year it's, it's just ridiculous so listen again I could run on about uh, Arsenal again I think my my tip for this season from an Arsenal perspective is once Kieran Tierney comes into that team I think it will take an injury to get him back out again I, I'm so I'm so high on him uh, interesting, good, good takes. Thanks a million, Ryan. Um, it's always good to get the fan perspective when we when we have uh, fans of other clubs on here. Um, let's kick on with our listener questions because um, we're going to hit these now. Quick fire, Ryan. We do the kind of just basically very brief because a lot of them we've kind of covered off on the rest of the show. Um, Jamie Dodd, JD Super was saying, with all the planning we do leading to crap scores, should we all select our teams by picking players who have nice names or share our birthdays or have nice hair? <laughs> Probably uh, just as well picking our captain picks each week. Sometimes that's the way it does definitely seem, Jamie. Uh, Kuhn Karam, uh, Karam Taser was it gave us actually a rant of the week suggestion that was the uh, that was the KDB no not passing to um, or the the uh, 
sorry, Jesus not passing to KDP. And uh, he was he was suggesting that maybe we should have that as our rant of the week. Um, but uh, he also had a listener question for us. And that was basically to do with the uh, the captain in game in FBL this season. No captain is returning and it's causing me a lot of headaches. He's about to give up. Um, but uh, Karam, don't, uh, please don't give up. <laughs> Just keep, keep plugging away and uh, things will come better. Uh, Mark Donny, Kylie, come to you on this one. Um, he has Pereira, and he's wondering who to drop between Soyuncu, uh, Rico, and Lundstrom. Um, it is a tough decision because um, some of those budget defenders, of course, they um, they left a lot of points on your bench in game week nine. Mm-hmm. Yes, um, I think this is actually a somewhat easy decision. Um, I would drop Soyuncu um, ordinarily. Probably not, but given that he has Pereira, I, we talked about not trusting double ups, uh, particularly outside of Liverpool, and even that has been problematic for many. But I, I certainly wouldn't be trusting them enough to have two of them playing, particularly not over. To, uh, to Mr. Rings, yeah. You're, uh, flavor yeah. The- I mean, Rico, Rico has a shot at a clean sheet. I, th- I think they might be, are they playing Wait, Watford? Yeah, I mean, look, I'd never be, yeah, I'd never be relying on Bournemouth defence for a clean sheet. Um, I know they just got one in a really unpredictable turn of events, but he's also, uh, capable of an assist. So I think I, you know, he's, he's kind of a worthwhile pick. And Lundstrom is Lundstrom, you know, I mean, he's just heartbreaking to bench and, and not get the points. I think both of those are worthy of, um, inclusion. If you've got Pereira, you're not going to bench him. So diversify. Um, and actually, interestingly, just on, on Lundstrom, um, I think it was Ronaldinho who said, uh, earlier in the week or a couple of days ago that West Ham have the third worst home, uh, attack based on XG at, at the moment. So, you know, maybe Lundstrom gets another, another clean sheet. Mm, no, no, I think so. Um, I agree with you on soy sauce. Um, FBL philosophy was talking about Marcus Alonso, bought him in game week seven with a plan to ship him out once Emerson was back from his injury. I had a similar plan, but, um, now after 24 points in three game weeks, should I keep Barcel? Well, I think you should keep because he's on form and, um, let's face it, Chelsea aren't that blessed. Emerson does seem to be his preferred option there, but I think Alonso has played well enough to hold on to that spot for now. Um, Morpheus Fire was asking Kylie, on a scale of one to Giroud, how much do you love John Lundstrom right now? Oh, well, um, okay. Look, long term, yes, I do love him. Uh, maybe not Giroud level, but, you know, they have their different qualities, right? Um, but, you know, at the moment, Lundstrom, uh, I'm a little bit, you know, not happy with him because, obviously, bench yeah, points. All, so. them, all them points on the bench. Yeah. We'll give him mm. an eight for now. Highly, yeah. yeah. Uh, Jonathan Strack, Jay Strack. So I'll give this one to you, Ryan. Um, is it time to switch off Aguero? So um, he's a bit of a um, a transfer dilemma. And give your opinion on it. Should I switch Salah, Aguero, and Greenwood for KDB, Vardy, and either Wilson or Firmino? Salah is the only the only current LFC attack. So um, he would be yeah, bringing in Firmino for Salah, I guess, as his only um, his only Liverpool thing. What do you think of that three for three? I think yes, um, only because I think of the six 
players on offer. KDB's the strongest out of the three of them, or out of the six of them. Um, yeah. And if I had a choice of any of the six, I would be sitting with KDB. So for me, in these types of trade situations, you always look at the best player involved in the deal. Yeah. And Birdie and Wilson. And it's, geez, I mean, it's hard to argue. I mean, what you're getting there is seasoned professionals that are performing. So Vardy's, Vardy's performing every week. And, you know, Wilson or Firmino, I mean, even if it's Wilson, what, what's Wilson posted? Eight returns of nine. I mean, it's phenomenal. And, you know, he's still flying under the radar. So, yeah, do. And Green, Greenwood, Greenwood is a dead sub. So, I mean, you're not losing anything getting rid of him. No, definitely not. Um, let me see here. Jonathan Strack at jstrack1 was talking about um, referring to a first question. Should I replace Sterling for Mane? Um, would a midfield of KDB, Dilva and Sterling be um, too Man City heavy? He's a wild card left. Um, I don't think it's, it's... It is probably a little bit heavy because... Um, but like Dilva, probably David Silva, David Silva probably be as a replacement maybe for Sterling or as a very, very cheap option to kind of replace those KDB points. I probably wouldn't go with the three, um, the three Man City midfield. I did try to do it for a couple of weeks earlier on. So I have a bit of a, I had Mares, KDB and Sterling. Um, but I found that it was, it was a little bit kind of irritating because you're investing an awful lot in the Man City midfield. And if they'd have an off day, then you could take a fair whack. Um, Shashank Patal, that's, um, FBL underscore JRF. Hola amigos, is it fair to say that consistency and playing the waiting game are fast becoming obsolete this season, or is it a blip and the status quo will eventually be restored? Sorry, I was talking away with the mute button <laughs> on perhaps. And I, I have to say, I, I would say probably the first three seconds of that original answer were the most prolific thing I've said all night. Um, but I can't remember what they were. So, no, look, I, I think in terms of playing the waiting game, good players are good players. And what, what you tend to find more often than not is that, you know, the cream will rise to the top. So, you know, by the same token there, you know, I'm, I'm giving maybe Aubameyang a hard time because he's only sitting in second, but he's doing that with very little chances. Um, the same token, you know, Alonso, everybody had written Alonso off. He's still a good player. You know, he gets a run of games and he starts to show some of the form that um, you know made him one of the FPL assets of, of all time. Um, but I just think, I, I'm looking at my team. I'm definitely I'm making less transfers this season. Um, I'm sort of sticking with players. We had that conversation earlier on about, you know, Salah or Mane and things like that there and how you make that decision. I'm quite happy to stick with Salah at the minute because... I always have a feeling in the back of my head, well, it's going to turn good, or it'll come good as well. So I'd rather have that consistency of knowing, okay, right, Salah's a lock for this week. I'm not even going to think about that. He's he's in the team. Um, I I don't think, you know, the the time for not playing the waiting game is the latter half of the season for me. You know, once we're coming in to that back stretch of, say, the last 10 games, but when it starts to get the doubles and people are using their chips and things like that there, um, that's when I'm more realistically, I'm probably more tempted to take the um, take the hit um, or roll the dice. And I think probably because my own personal team is doing quite well this season, you know, after what nine games was still early, but I'm probably going to you know play the status quo here as much as possible. I'm going to try to stay consistent in terms of the template and things like that there. 
and I'm going to try to maintain that, you know, sort of say top 50k um, through into the new year. Because what will end up happening is by that stage you'll have seen, you know, millions of players will have used their, their chips, they'll have used left, right, and centre, and then there's an opportunity to climb. If I find that I've tailed off, 100% I will become more adventurous because you do start to take more chances because you need to take more chances to make a time up. Well, with your start of the season, it's definitely, I think, the, the, the slow approach. I'll tell you the funny thing is, we, yeah, so we, there's, this is controversial, Tom, but there's, um, you know, so there's there's my personal team that I've had for what, 10, 11 years, and then there's like a, you know, like a, I suppose a three amigos equivalent team where we fight over it and, you know, people you know, sort of take turns at making the transfer and stuff. And that's doing terrible. You know, what you're seeing this year is a lot of high profile players. You know, sitting between say one or two million, um, and again, there's nothing. <sighs> there's plenty of time to make this up. You know, it's it's not as if it's not as if two good weeks couldn't shit, shit you up half a million players places, for example. Um, but it's always interesting to me how that works because you know if you think about it, if you have a, a collective mind of say three or four people, <laughs> you, know, you, know, yeah, you would you would think you know. Logically, that would result in a better, you know, <laughs> result. It all, it all depends on the minds, Ryan, that are involved in oh, that. Do you know what, what inevitably ends up happening is we fight over this on a Friday night or whatever it is, and then I'll end up doing what I want anyway. You know, for yes, that would be uh, Marit doing that in our group, yeah. If we if we had a team, we haven't had a joint team yet, but we, maybe we will down the line. I, I don't. I, I'll be honest. I don't recommend it. I, I don't. It's 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 a horrible idea. The <laughs> for, the original idea came from the what we were planning to do. What I was planning to do was have this sort of you know community team or whatever it was, and every week I would have a transfer decision to make, and I would poll it out on Twitter. Now the reality was that was an absolute pain in the arse. Um, so I thought I would just put three people in a, a group chat or whatever it is, and you know we fight over that every week. Um, and so that's a pain in the ass as well. Oh, 100%. You know, and that's what I'm saying. So I've, like, you know, like the fact that that one's sitting at 1.3 million, I don't really care because I can blame somebody else for it if it's you know <laughs> any given week. Um, yeah, I, I'd be the one to blame on it for us all the time. But Mary, we better kick on with the other questions here because we have a few we want to get to, and I know we have to wrap up in the next couple of minutes. Um, Toby Wan Kenobi was asking, um, I'd be curious to know the stats say about Grealish versus Madison, um, and what our thoughts are and how they differ in their playing style. So we did mention a decent bit earlier on, Kylie, on um, on Grealish, and uh, and we have spoken before a decent bit about Madison. But what do their stats show? Quickly, briefly. Okay, I know that's so, a state too, Kylie. I know. Yeah. I'm getting yeah. the impression that Don's trying to rush us here. Uh, just I, slightly. <laughs> I wonder where from. Um, yeah, okay. So, Madison uh, statistically hasn't looked quite as good as Grealish has in the last few matches. So, again, I'm saying we've Grealish A and Grealish B as kind of two different creatures, and we did talk about how much we would trust that he maintains this current form or not up for question Grealish has far worse fixtures than Madison does so that's that's a key thing there but um look there 3.3 attempts so Madison last three games played so he missed game week seven so I'm looking at six eight and nine at the moment so averaging 3.3 attempts versus 3.7 for Grealish um 1.3 1.3 in the box and one on target. So it's 1.7 in the box and 
um, two on target for Grealish, right? So he's he's ahead there. Um, so I think, you know, what I would say about Madison that's interesting is that actually his, his returns have all come against tougher teams. So Chelsea, Sheffield United, and I think we have to consider them a tougher team based on how they're defending, Tottenham and um, Liverpool. So he's kind of doing that thing we perceive Vardy to do, which is deliver against tough teams. But he does have uh, two goals in the last three games. So I think Madison is still a decent pick if you don't want to go Vardy. Um, I think I'd probably still prefer the uh, Chelsea boys in that position um, than probably either of them. Yeah, they're they're kind of hard to argue with the Chelsea value. Um, John Wallen, fantasy gaffer, was asking about Ryan to ask him how his, his draft team is doing. Well, um, it has gotten a mention for several times tonight, um, as has John. But um, how are you doing, John? A former, uh, of course, guest on the old Fan Feud podcast with myself. Oh, sure. We actually had we had a getting to know you podcast with John as well. Uh, but uh, I'm, I'm not going to ask you how your draft team is getting on, right? Because I think uh, I, I don't. No, I'm not talking about the draft team. I will say that one of them was uh, was drafted by John whilst I was in Australia. So we did a thing on the Bang Average podcast where I offered up the management of draft team four. I can't remember. I lost. A oh, and and uh, we actually have uh, a Swedish manager now by the name of Magnus Pearson. Um, I employed him to manage one of my draft teams. Um, he's he's actually been sacked in the last week. It's, it's a long, complicated story. But I've, essentially, I've essentially hired a Swedish manager to manage one of my draft teams and fired him in the last week. Um, and then his missus had a second baby on Saturday, so now I sort of feel like, oh, fuck, should I should I reemploy him again? You know, I, I don't like the idea of. I'm struggling to see where the job satisfaction is for Magnus here. Yeah. I'm, I'm not going to see. Essentially, what happens is if if that if that particular draft team wins, then obviously I did well, and if it doesn't, it's Magnus's fault. Uh, <laughs> That's right. He gets all the abuse and none of the pay. Uh, but uh, Mike Dalmedo uh, was talking about uh, should the FBL season be called complete after nine game weeks and should we all find different hobbies so uh, <laughs> uh, but I think yeah it, um, as I, I said sometimes it feels that way yeah. if I, no honestly if I, if I finish top 40k done yeah, well, you've, you've peaked anyway, Ryan, right? So um, I, I, there's no, there's, I, I can literally I'm only going to go down I'm not going to climb any further than that hmm yeah, uh, VTMPI was asking who to play next week. Puki scored against all top four except Spurs, so is Manu his final chance? Uh, Manu aren't top four anymore, I'd say on that one. <laughs> uh, yeah. Versus Yarmolenko, uh, Sheffield United, who kept a clean sheet against Arsenal with both Aubameyang and Lacazette on the pitch. Um, that's a tough one, really. I mean, if you're going to keep Puki. Manu isn't I, as much as we mentioned earlier on. They're not a top-ranked defense anymore. Um, I probably would still prefer um, Sheffield United have been like a, a top quality, to be honest with you, so far in the season defense. I probably prefer Pookie up against Man United. So perhaps keep him for one more week and um, and then get rid, um, because I yeah I think he's peaked earlier on in the season. Um, FBL diapers that's Sheriff Joe FBL um, was basically suggesting this thing to do with mid-season adjustments in price tags. So to do with like Mane, Sterling, Salah being so high 
high price while Lundstrom is four. We mentioned earlier on FBL Diaper about that. I think Lundstrom pretty much is a bit of an outlier. They, I think they mispriced him and mispositioned him in particular. Um, but, um, mid mid-season adjustments might be a bit of fun, but, uh, I don't think they're going to be overcomplicating the game by bringing anything like that. Um, let me see. Um, the random question from Jeff at FBL Thunder is our usual wrap up to the podcast. So, um, I'll come to you first, Nikaili, while, um, while Ryan thinks about what his answer would be on this one. But what's your favorite toy or game when you were growing up? Um, well, I, I loved Barbies. I was a Barbie girl. I was completely obsessed with them. I do. I'll tell you what I remember was weird though. Um, so my sister and I had this whole collection of different Barbies, but there weren't very many candles. I think we only had like two cans. And I distinctly recall us, um, one Christmas we got four Barbies between us from different people and it was the same, same Barbie. So it was really, weird anyway and this particular barbie was wearing like kind of dungarees or something like that so we were like okay that's quite a masculine outfit so we chopped all of their hair off right we colored one one of them her scalp in like black and then another one red and we just kind of made them additional candles so we had like what do you call uh quadruplets or whatever the hell they're called i don't know quads those yeah, things. Quad, yeah. Yep. Um, and so we had these, uh, quad can, candles. Um, we were very creative. Yes, just sounded creative, right? And just <laughs> like a bit weird. But, uh, but <laughs> Definitely that's weird. Okay. That's usually uh, stuff that you look at and you think this child's obviously going to be like a serial killer or something when they do stuff yeah. like that. Uh, what about yourself, Ryan? I too was a Barbie girl. I knew that, yeah. Uh, that, uh, is it nothing? Nothing out of the ordinary. It's probably you know probably simple stuff. It's probably Transformers, and then I probably moved on to an Atari or a Game Boy, and then I discovered football and things like that. There, so nothing, nothing too out of the ordinary. I mean, I can't match like for like in terms of you know Kylie's whew, <laughs> journey to become a mass murderer. <laughs> yeah. uh, I probably um, I I had well there was a lot of Transformers would have been one for me too. Um, and a lot of stuff, you know, like that with maybe Sapudio or different, different board games. But probably what? our favorite, my favorite, yeah, Sapudio. You've ever heard of it? No. Oh, God, this is in the Dwight York flipping standard. Is it, is it, would you heard of Sapudio? Did I pronounce I, it wrong? I don't know. It was simple, right? Yeah, yeah. No, I don't think it is. I think this is going to be one of these moments, Ryan, like, um, Kylie had never heard of Andy Cole and Dwight York earlier on. Um, <laughs> this is one of these things. With the Which I still get tagged in but, in yeah, things for that. You will yeah. be hearing about this when you little, little plastic football man on a on a pitch that you flick around. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's like yeah. oh, like baseball. No, but you know it's okay. Oh. That kind of concept. It's okay. No, no, it's okay. We're gonna take this offline because Don's gonna have a heart attack if this runs he, over. He will. Yes, I'm sorry, it's, Don. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's scary stuff. <laughs> but uh. Probably, other than that, game-wise, would have been probably playing Robin Hood with my brothers and cousins and friends, basically in the woods at the back of our house. Best crack ever. Uh, little John with the staff and uh, making our bows and arrows and stuff like that. But probably my best game. That would be, I love uh, that. Yeah, yeah but, uh, that was that was the best crack. Best memories too. But uh, let's kick on. 
finally with our game week plans and our captain picks. So, um, Ryan, come to you first. Um, and yes, I'm going to say briefly as possible. <laughs> <laughs> What are we going to? You know, I was on mute, but I, I, I'm, I'm quickly learning how to do this, guys. For anybody listening that doesn't understand what's happening, my microphone bust five minutes before the podcast, so we're recording this in a very dangerous way. And um, one that means that I might actually get electrocuted. Two that means the sound quality. However, game week ten. Who am I going to captain? Um, it's probably back to KDB again this week. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I reckon so. I reckon he's most consistent, and uh, he's, uh, his home form has been insane. Yeah, so I'm, I'm probably gonna. Yeah, I'm happy enough with that. Listen, I think again, it's one of these things where there's you're gonna have three or four decent captain options. Nobody stands out more than anybody else, and that's what's making it interesting. Because listen, it only takes honestly, it only takes one or two captain picks. To get you know to get that sort of flip or coin flip right, and it'll you know, be it'll be tough. It'll be tough enough. Uh, it'll be tough enough this week because um, I know with, our, with Chelsea up against Burnley and Liverpool versus Spurs, um, the Man City boys definitely have to pick the fixture against at home to Villa. But um, I probably will join you on the KDB captaincy. But um, how about yourself, Kylie? Oh, same. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, clean sweep so great stuff um, and now we won't um, I know that Kylie won't um, Ryan give out her transfer plans or answer that game I have spies who listen she has spies who listen to the podcast so, uh, so I, won't, I won't even come to that one tonight <laughs> it's actually <laughs> okay Don because I don't know the answer to it anyway so, ah, so you wouldn't even be able to give away those secrets <laughs> no, I, don't, I, mean, I don't understand because if you put out a restraining order on Mars it'll go away <laughs> the problem the problem is Imaz is not my only follower. I have in my, my mini league I have um uh, you know, my, my younger cousin and uh, one of my friends, Rob, you know who you are. Um they they tune in and I'm concerned. He's admitted guilt anyway. She's one of the only Ryan fantasy football pundits who refuses to give out advice on the show in case uh, I'm corrected. <laughs> <laughs> in, case it come, in case it affects her team, but uh, well, fairness, this is real. <laughs> fairness over the years, I'm a fantasy football pundit that less and less people come to actually ask fantasy <laughs> advice, and it tends to be more about Ryan. Tell me a bit about this ball spray you you know, or talk to me, talk to me a bit about your build home, and I was like, talk to me about my what? Um, <laughs> it's your unique value proposition, Ryan. You're, you're a niche player in the uh, fantasy football punditry uh, arena. But, uh, Ryan, it, as always, it's been brilliant fun talking to you and thanks a million for coming on the Amigos. You're you're an honorary Amigo at this point anyway. Did I get some sort of hat-trick ball now? Because I've been on like three times. Yes, yes. This is critically important because I did two appearances on the gaffer tapes and they stopped me from coming on a third time because they knew they had to give me a hat-trick ball. Right. Um, Ryan, I don't want to alarm you, but what actually happens is you get serenaded three times by Mars. Yeah. Good night. Come <laughs> here. Uh, that's all we got time for on tonight's show. We have been Kylie, who you can find at Kylie FBL. Myself, you can find at The Marble Curse. 
And Ryan, who you can find, of course, at Fantasy Yerma. Um, Mar- give Mars, of course, a follow as well at Mars05 and say hello to him and hopefully he's enjoying his holiday. Thanks as always for listening and your continued support. Good luck in game week 10. Adios, amigos. Manscaped.com. Brave amigos are we, brother to brother and everyone, a brave amigo.